Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented and analytic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime, currently featuring Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, Ruby, and Miraculous Ladybug. I'm Melanie Moyer, and today I'm joined by Delaney Stovall. Hello. Uh, and today we're going to be discussing uh, The Book of Life. Um, and uh, it, we're just going to go through... This is one we've been meaning to do for a while because um, I've been slowly, like, piece by piece getting people to watch it because it was kind of like a... Not even... It was bigger than, like, a cult following type movie, but yeah. it was... Not a lot of people saw it. <laughs> we bo- and we both saw it in theaters, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I saw it. Um, I actually went to go see it um, because I was really uh, pissed after one of my classes and... Uh, I texted my roommate, and I was like, we're going to movies, pick a movie. <laughs> um, and we went to go see that. And it was really, it ended up being really good. Um, you can find out more about this podcast at overlyanimated.com. Um, but we're going to get right into it. Uh, obviously, spoilers throughout if you haven't seen this movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you know, listen to the podcast if you want. Maybe it'll be like advertising for the movie because I really enjoyed the movie. Um, It's the best. Yeah. And if you have seen it, then soldier right on through this podcast. Um, So the movie, just quick summary, is uh, takes place in San Angel, which is a fake town in Mexico, but also not because I'm 90% sure there's probably a few San Angels in Mexico. But this one in particular is is fictitious because it's sitting like on a sombrero shaped or no, a guitar. (laughs) Is it a guitar? I think it's a guitar. It's a guitar shaped like island or it's an island in the middle of this guitar shaped thing or what I don't It's It's... And, like, we know, like, you know, the center of Mexico is, like, like yeah. Mexico City, and it's, like, it's kind of, like, uh, a callback to, like, Tenochtitlan and that stuff. Like, it's yeah. very much, like, an Aztec-y kind of inspired, like, where they are. Yeah. Um, and basically, it's about these three kids, uh, Manolo, Joaquin, and Maria, um, who basically it goes through kind of, like, their childhood and teenage years and then into their adulthood and just about... Um, basically the, it's, it's, and I'll get more into this in, in a bit, but it's basically plays like this kind of Mexican fairy tale. Um, it's about essentially, you know, they live in this little town. It's kind of, uh, be, be spotted with, uh, bandits, if you will. Um, these sort of like Mexican outlaws who like constantly kind of like plague the town essentially, and Manolo's a bullfighter, and Maria's, like, the daughter of, like, the mayor, whatever he is, the general. Yeah. Um, and Joaquin is, like, a war hero. Um, and basically, Manolo dies after a series of... Unfortunate <laughs> Very events. unfortunate events. He ends up dead, and he, it's his, his journey to get back to Maria um, into the, the land of the living, essentially. Um, it's a lot more nuanced than that, but that was my quick summary. <laughs> Delaney wants to add anything to that. I mean, it's I mean, that's that's the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's about it. Um, that's it. The, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, over. Uh, three main characters: Diego Luna plays uh, Manolo, um, and then there's a few kids who play younger Manolo. Um, I guess I'll name them since I brought them up. Emil Bastien Buffard plays young Manolo, and Joe Matthews is singing Manolo. Um, and then Zoe Saldana, love her, um, yes. is Maria Posada. Um, and then Genesis 
I should know how to pronounce this. I was like almost fluent in Spanish at one point. Uh, Genesis Ochoa, I might be butchering that a little bit, plays uh, young Maria. And then Channing Tatum <laughs> plays Joaquin Mondragon. Um, and then Elias Garza plays young Joaquin. Um, this is a lot. Actually, I lied in the um, in the outline. I said it was basically all Latin Hispanic cast members except for Channing Tatum there's actually a lot of people in here who aren't because yeah. Christina Apple- Applegate plays a character yeah. as well and so yes. does Ice Cube I lied I told it. and Ron Perlman I lied about that entirely <laughs> the main characters <laughs> the main characters are are all Hispanic or Latin except for Channing Tatum except for Channing Tatum so basically all of it's a lie actually don't listen to anything <laughs> about that um you know I saw that and I was like um yeah no I lied um so yeah um the big thing that drew me into this, uh, besides the fact that, and I'll go into this a little bit more when we get on the topic of Dia de las Muertes, is I grew up in Arizona, like right not far from um, the border to Mexico. But um, Guillermo del Toro uh, produced this film, which is ridiculous considering he usually is doing like weird horror films or Hellboy. Yep. Um, <laughs> weird horror films or Hellboy. Yeah, and I, I think he's actually a very good friend of Jorge R. Gutierrez, who directed it and wrote it. Um, and this was kind of a um, really just from the heart project for Jorge R. Gutierrez. Um, it's something that he had been trying to get out there and get made for a while, and he was getting turned down by pretty much every major. Um, animation studio there was which is why real fx uh distributed this which is a company i don't even know what else they've done yeah either <laughs> they do other things i'm sure oh wait oh they did free birds oh boy so that's their other claim to fame is free birds, <laughs> free birds. <laughs> if you saw that at thanksgiving i think last year um distributed by 20th century fox um yeah i mean so going so t- t- obviously I lied the cast is not entirely Latin or Hispanic in ethnicity except for Channing Tatum as I wrote in the outline but um the majority of the cast is um with the exception of like Christina Applegate and Ice Cube and Ron Perlman who's in everything that Guillermo del Toro he's like Guillermo del Toro's Johnny Depp essentially um everyone in there is is some either Hispanic they're you know from Spanish origin or Latin American um which I think is really, really cool, considering, unfortunately, right now, the biggest name I think you have in sort of Latin and Central American and South American um, representation in media is Sofia Vergara, who's kind of played up, I think, in a lot of ways as, you know, making fun of her accent or making fun of what have yeah. you. Um so it's really, really cool. I mean, if you just go on the Wikipedia page and look down the names of, like, if you get past Channing Tatum and Christina <laughs> Applegate, you'll see all these names of people who are, and you can click on their names and see that, you know, they're either born in these countries or they come from families where a story like this would be very important to them um, <clears throat> and uh, very unique to the culture. Which, in context of movies like... Well, the new one that's coming out, it's like Gods of Egypt and like whatever that terrible movie was last year that like, really, we don't cast, you know, like that whole big issue. It's really refreshing to have. It's like Waldo is supposed to be playing an Egyptian god. Yeah, like what? Don't even. That's that's not. And Gerard (laughs) Butler, like, come on. Really? Exactly. 
but then we have um but it's really great to see this not only in film in general because we need more of this but also to to see an animated film yes because yeah, we tend to be very ethnocentric with our animated films, like How to Train Your Dragon. We both love How to Train Your Dragon. That's a very that's still very Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. um, based, and it casts um, Anglo-Saxons yep. as Anglo-Saxons. Yes. Um, yeah, and that's the because I don't watch Steven Universe. Everyone's trying, and I'm trying. I'll get there eventually <laughs> if Tumblr doesn't spoil everything for me. Um, but one thing I saw in there is that pretty much a lot of the, the voice actors in that are um, various, you know, people of color, people of visible minority. Yep. Um, and I think the thing that happens with animation is that people think it doesn't matter because they'll say, oh, it's just a voice. So they'll cast whoever they want um, as these characters and not really care about that. But in something like this, I think casting... Um, people who, who come from a background where a story like this is important to them is super important. Um, you know, it's like Mulan when the cast, with the exception of Donny Osmond the, <laughs> and Eddie Murphy, the cast was, you know, people who who the story of Mulan would have resonated with and been important to and who were um, ethnically correct uh, with their characters and that sort of thing. So I think this is a really great example of, obviously they didn't do it all the way throughout, and there's only so much I can ask. Yeah. But um, it's a really great example of, like, being able to cast, like, you know, a big budget, big release film with people who are are not white, playing characters who are not white in, in an animated film. Yep. It's pretty sweet stuff. Um, so, Dia de las Muertes. So, uh, this is a... I wrote... This is a super important holiday. It's super misunderstood. Um... I spent, like, between the ages of, like, 11 and 15 in Arizona, um, in southern Arizona, or central to southern Arizona, and, like, you know, this was a a holiday that would come around um, just after Halloween every year, and, you know, stuff would be decorated for it, people would close their shops for it, like, you know, it was a really big deal for me, like, growing up, growing up, like, teenage years growing up, um, in Arizona, so I was kind of exposed to it. So when I saw that this movie was getting made, I was like, "Oh, that's cool! Like, that's really cool stuff." Because all the the thing that you're going to hear when you hear Dia de las Muertes is Mexican Halloween. Yeah, that's what people will always refer to it as because it comes about two or three days after Halloween. And I think it's I think it's November. It's 2nd. November second. Yeah. Um, I can't math. I wasn't going to do that in my head. Okay. No, <laughs> I think it's, it's three good. days. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, and it, and it deals with death, and it, you know, it deals with all this skull imagery and this death imagery, so people are just like, oh, yeah, it's Mexican Halloween, which is awful and offensive. Yeah. And, of course, and we have this whole, like, oh, candy skulls are really cool. And- yes, people are obsessed <laughs> with getting candy skulls tattooed on Dude them. on them, yeah. Getting t-shirts that have They them, make like- candy skulls out of, like, stormtroopers. Yeah, there's, and, like- there's a lot of cultural appropriation going on with the candy skull, and... It makes, it's it, as tempting as, like, a candy skull Stormtrooper is on a t-shirt yes. from Hot Topic. I didn't do it. Yep, same. Um, I did, I did make a really cool one. I got, my friend got me that, it was on my Instagram, you saw it, I believe. Yeah. The Stormtrooper mm-hmm. head that you could color, and I made one purposely that was, like, a it candy really skull cool. one. It's pretty sweet. Check out my Instagram if you want to see it. Plug <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> to just... plug my Instagram. Um... But yeah, like, you know, this is a super appropriated holiday. I don't know. It wasn't this way when I was a kid, like, being immersed in it. So I don't know if, if you know, 
it's I think it's a newer thing. Like I think it's kind of a trend. Yeah, I right think now. for me, like I think it's a newer thing because like now I have a funny story. Like in second grade, like we were talking about Dia de los Muertos, and I think my teacher misunderstood me. But everything at that point that I understood about Dia de los Muertos came from Scooby Doo and the Monster Mexico, that movie. Oh now that's a Scooby Doo movie, but they actually like talk about what. D- what Dia de los Muertos, yeah, yeah. Muertos is, and like that, that it's not just Mexican Halloween. Yeah, it's not even close. Like it doesn't need the point, no. you know. And this is the interesting thing about Dia de los Muertos, is it's kind of I compare it in a lot of ways to kind of like what Beowulf is for Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. culture, like paganism meets Christianity. It's right at the crossroads. It's a transition work. Dia de los Muertos is like a is still surviving transition holiday transition yeah. like it's it's right in the crossroads of of um these indigenous paganism and yeah, catholicism this, this indigenous indigenous paganism you know the the idea of shibalba and um the underworld and and the journey to the underworld and all the things i can't pronounce because they're in mayan and nobody yeah. can pronounce mayan <laughs> um true. and with you know catholic spanish catholic imagery like la morita and um yeah. That sort of thing, you know, it's it's like a perfect combination of these two cultures coming together, and it's about celebrating death. Um, the idea is here, you know, you go to your ancestors' graves, you decorate them, but the idea isn't to mourn that these people are gone, it's to celebrate that they were once alive. Because the idea is that they can't die um, if if you remember them, and, and that they, on this day, the, the two worlds, if you take kind of like what we would consider, you know, the plane of the living and the plane of the dead, how we kind of, this is where maybe it intersects a little bit with Halloween because Halloween is supposed to be, okay, the dead can return to earth. But here it's a lot more specific because it's not just like, oh, there's ghosts walking around. The dead can return to earth. Like werewolves will, will run rampant. It's that if you remember your loved ones and you honor them, then you can feel them and they can return on this night to be with you. And, um, there's and a you lot have of food and you like have and you kind of like there's a lot of offerings are food related and like, you know, it's the person's favorite food and you're, you kind of have dinner with like you're like you're spending time with these yeah. relatives who have gone on. Yeah. And it's the you know, it's very much this is interesting because I just read a book um, called Scream by actually my old boss <laughs> when I worked at a haunted house, um, Margie Kerr. Um, who was, there was this chapter, basically the premise of the book is that she went to various places and like scared the crap out of herself and studied it because she's a sociologist. Um, and that was fun for her. <laughs> um, she went to a lot of freaky places, but one of the places she went to was the forest in Japan that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Yeah. Um, I that they made, that they made a movie about that's horrible. Yeah. They made that crappy movie with yeah. my wife, my future yeah, wife, with, Natalie yeah. Dormer. Yes. yes. Um, and Lady Gaga's future husband. Um, <laughs> Everyone's future spouses are in this movie. Yes, uh, Taylor Kinney. Um, but basically, that forest—you know—it gets nicknamed suicide forest because a lot of people go in there and commit suicide because it's a very tranquil place. It's a very like cut off from society place. And she went there and um, she walked off the trail because she's insane. Um, yep. And like she that. sat, like she found a place that she liked. She sat down and she did this, this like sociologist exercise where she meditated on her own death in the middle of this forest because that sounds like a good idea <laughs> wow. and, something, and something a white person would do. Um, yes. <laughs> but she was mentioning in, in this chapter the way that we kind of evolved with our thoughts about death, especially in Western culture where, and this is even today, like where cultures that aren't uh, like anglicized and that sort of thing, 
death is kind of considered a communal event. You know, they'll have these giant communal funerals and there'll be these like big, big bombastic ceremonies um, when these people die. And in our culture, United States specifically, we kind of like sequester off death. You know, it's a very private thing. You yeah. don't talk about it. You don't talk about when it happens. Well, if you know someone's lost someone, you don't really say anything. You know, funerals are very private and that sort of thing. And it, death, you know, and traditionally it wasn't that way for us. Like our ancestors considered deaths and funerals a giant communal event for for your community or society and that sort of thing and that's what's going on here where uh the people who celebrate Dia de las Muertes you know still have that mentality where this isn't something to be entirely afraid of this isn't something to sequester off um you know this is something we all go through and we're all going to have to do one day um and everyone's lost someone for, for people who are still living. So the idea is to, you know, turn it into something that we all kind of share. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, the, the, the uh, cemeteries get, you know, filled with people and it's like a carnival and it's fun for everyone. Even though, you know, you're spending private personal time with your lost family members, everyone's celebrating together. You know, the entire town is celebrating together. Um, this idea that, you know, death doesn't have to be as scary as we think it is if we remember that, People don't really leave um, if you remember them. And that's not to say, like, whatever you believe about afterlife, you believe. But yeah. the point here is that, you know, as long as you remember your relatives, you know, do they ever really leave you? And that, you know, this is something we all go through. And yeah. instead of, you know, because, like, you know, you've got Halloween where it's, like, everything's black and orange and, like, spooky and too spoopy and all that stuff. Yeah, and this sp- is... <laughs> This is a very colorful event, you know, it's, it's, it's a big party, um, and it gets totally overwritten as Mexican Halloween, Yeah, which it is not, even in the slightest. Nope. Um, it completely takes away, like, what's so monumental and special about it. So, my rant condensed down into, like, 20 seconds intro in this movie <laughs> to Day of the Dead, although the entire movie is basically a walking, um, advertisement for not misconstruing day of the dead yes um but i go into a lot more detail we just went into a lot more detail right now than they go into in the movie um but But this is also all gleaned from the movie like this isn't and this isn't just like oh you had to like really hard and like really you know focus and infer this like no like the movie is a giant party and it's and it's a giant party in the world of the living and in the world of the dead that we get to um explore with manolo Mm -hmm. yeah except for land of the forgotten Yes, and like, <laughs> except Land of the Forgotten is not people. a fun place. Although, if you think about the logistics of this movie, eventually everyone's going to end up in the Land of the Forgotten because yep. one day everyone who yeah, knows you will be dead. It's true. So, I, we'll, we'll, yeah. the movie conveniently ignores that and we'll ignore yes. it too. Um, the Land of the Forgotten, I don't believe that's an actual thing in Day of the Dead, at least yeah. from what I remember. It's just like a way to conceptualize the point of it. Um, through the movie like there isn't like basically it's to help west stupid western people understand it by basically giving you a heaven and hell yeah analog um there that isn't a thing though no in actual day of the dead um because the whole point is that you're you're not forgotten no one has ever forgotten that kind of idea yeah it's good stuff um and yeah like you know it plays like a Mexican fairy tale like how you one might see cuz you know you've got these Disney movies that are very like um heritage based and very yeah. ethnically based recently you know like Frozen is very it's Scandinavian um 
We're about to get um, Moana. Moana. Moana is um. Every time I try to say it, I say it wrong. So I just Same. stop saying. It. I'm just saying. Like, yeah, everyone knows what we're talking that about. That new though, one. So it's okay. The new um, one, <clears throat> which is uh, South Pacific area, yeah. Hawaii, that kind of thing. It's like Samoan. Pacific Islander. Um, you know, um, I don't. I, Rapunzel's German, but they don't really do it in the movie. But yeah. you've got these movies that are kind of like Brave, which is like Scotland. You know, you've yep. got these kind of very local. Um, heritage-based movies, and I will get to this later. We're going to talk about it later. They're moving in on this this Day of the Dead thing in 2017. But, you know, this is the first time we've seen something like this, I think. I mean, like, even if you look back, like, maybe, say, Pocahontas, like, even that was, like, about the white people, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, basically. it's not Pocahontas, but it was all... It was, like, you know, there was more white-speaking characters in that movie than than Native American, <clears throat> which sucks because there were drawings and they still couldn't yeah. friggin'. Um, it's like, really? So this is kind of the first big mainstream um, <clears throat> film in that genre of kind of local heritage fairy tales that was about something that wasn't European or white. Um, and it was completely... with the. I mean, these characters, like, Jibalba is named for the underworld. Like, there's not a person named Jibalba. Yeah. Um, and La Muerta is a real person um, in in folklore surrounding Day of the Dead. Like, these characters, not all of them are original, but the story completely is. Like, it's a completely made-up story that he, he made, which I think is really cool as well, because you don't get too many original stories anymore. I mean, a yeah. lot of the people were inspired by... Like, Frida Kahlo inspired... Um, some of his representation of La Muerta and yeah. Manolo was inspired by a real bullfighter, but <clears throat> it's all an original story. And I think that's really cool to see in a world of adaptations and remakes, remakes and taking things that are out of copyright <laughs> and <laughs> taking advantage of the fact that they're out of copyright. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> all right. So uh, one of the big things with this, I think is the unique animation style oh <clears throat> if you want to talk about that while i'm dying <laughs> <laughs> well uh that was one of the things that really drew me to the movie originally like you know when they were having granted the, I, there weren't really like a lot of trailers like before the movie came out but i mean that i think that's one of the most striking things about this film because and everyone i mean we've already mentioned frozen but like disney movies and even dreamworks and though dreamworks does tr you know it seems to be a, little, be a bit more diversified and like how like and, and this doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with ethnicity but just like how characters look like and like actually looking like different people and not like cookie cutters or just the same thing yeah. and for and we actually have this really beautiful like they're kind they're kind of wooden looking and which of course goes along with you know in the film they're when the when we find out later, La Muerte is telling the story to the kids that she's using these wooden figurines. But you know, the movie they come to life, and it's just a beautiful animation style, and it's really interesting, especially in a world of, you know, we have the we finally went from two D to three D, but then all the three D animation kind of looks the same. It's kind of like bubbly and not quite. It all looks like tangled. Yeah, it all looks like tangled, and and it's I think it's very striking to have in 
like Big Hero Six, Frozen, they all look the same. Yeah, I mean, and that was a big thing uh, when Frozen was first coming out, and I actually presented on this in my one class before the movie was even out. Don't get me wrong, I love me some Frozen. Yeah, no, I love Frozen. You probably Frozen's people great. probably know that by now because Dylan complains about how much I like Frozen a lot. Yeah, that's um, true. But, uh, there was this big kerfluffle because one of the animators said it was hard to animate women because you have to constantly make them look pretty, and everyone like lost their minds as they yeah. should. Yes, but everyone lost their minds on the internet because they're like, "This is." B- Yes, like, and then it was what, part of like the DreamWorks versus Disney war, and it's like really, yeah, where it's basically like Disney's like actively trying to make these women all look the same, so that they all look pretty, and doesn't really want to to create a kind of non aesthetically pleasing female. What they yeah. define as a non aesthetically pleasing female, which unfortunately, in from what they've done, is basically you know skinny, big eyes, white, yep, some version of light brown to blonde hair on that spectrum you know and that sucks um and this is like they're doll like it's so cool like they're dolls like the entire yeah. movie is told with these dolls and, and they all me- look different like the dolls yeah it's and it took me designs. like i walked out of the movie and i was like oh wait they're dolls and my roommate was like yeah you're dumb like i just picked <laughs> up on that immediately but yeah like every person with the exception of jababa and la muerte because they're like yeah these are like visceral real entities but everyone yeah. who's like a person in this story is a doll and i think it's adorable it's awesome because they say it's, it's kind of um obviously Coraline is like obviously in the tim burton like animation mm-hmm. style but um it looks i mean it's very similar or um i don't know if you've seen uh nine uh yes i have so that and it looks it reminded me a lot of nine that's very steampunky Yes. Um, yeah, and it like they say in the beginning too, because Christina Applegate's character is telling the story, but turns out that's La Muerte. Yes. Um, but she's like, you know, these. She says at the beginning, she's like, these dolls represent real people, and this story is one hundred percent true. And then tells the story <laughs> of um, Manolo and Joaquin and Maria. Um, I don't have it in here specifically, but I feel like we should go into. Well, and you mentioned it with this subversion of the love triangle. Um, oh, yeah, we can. We can, we'll talk about that in a little bit when we get to Maria, because we'll save character talks for later. Um, but yeah, really cool animation style. I think someone, like, they occasionally fall apart, too. Like, sometimes yeah, no, like, they uh, lose uh, arms. <laughs> yeah. He falls apart, and then, like, like it, he's literally ahead for, yeah, he's like, like, ten minutes. And then he gets all his body parts back together, and then he's fighting, and he, like, they try to cut off his head, and he's like, oh, can't do that. And then... Yeah, and like they'll randomly like fall to pieces or like, like in the lose beginning, the um soldiers, like in the beginning, like the soldier like lo- his arm fell off and this kid like took one of his arms and like <laughs> bit like a horse. <laughs> yeah, so it's like little great. little nuances like that where the film's aware, kind of Lego movie ish. Yeah, it's it breaks it breaks the fourth wall a little bit in moments where it's like kind of aware that it's like a story being told. <laughs> um, when you've got characters like pulling off their body parts, it's um, pretty great. And then just snapping them back on because they're all toys, essentially, is really cool. Um, <clears throat> it's a super-duper unique animation style that, and, like, even storytelling um, format, if you go that far with it, that I don't yeah. think we've seen before. At least, in, and I say as a wide release because for all I know, there's some cult yeah. animated movie that did this first. Um, and it's so inherently tied to what the story is about. Like, this, it's so, the colors and... 
like the visuals, like everything is just so tied to Dia de los Muertos, which that sounds like a really dumb comment, but a lot of times we get this kind of like whitewashing of anything mm. that we're talking about in general and like in mainstream media. And this is just so intrinsically Hispanic and Latin American and it's so great. Well, especially when you get to the part when Manolo dies and he wakes up in the land of the remembered and it's like this huge crazy party like it was amazing to see in yeah. theaters like it was so cool like it was so beautiful and I'm like how much money did it cost you to animate this scene? Um because that's the point is like death for for people who celebrate Dia de Muertos is death is colorful and a party and and, you know, it, it's so funny because people in the U.S. and sort of, like, European Western cultures, you know, you wear black when someone dies yeah. and and all this other stuff and, you know, the colors. And they're having morning. a parade. Yeah, they're having a parade and dancing and, like, eating a bunch of food and, like, throwing confetti and getting drunk because, like, it's it's almost like this strange little paradox where the point of death is to celebrate life and... And it's just, it's really, really cool. And it's visually, like, stunning to see. And, I mean, even when you get to places like the Land of the Forgotten or, like, um, places that are less fancy-schmancy and colorful, um, it's still very beautiful animation. Oh, yeah. Um, It's just gorgeous. And the way that they do the town, too, is kind of funny because you'll get these, like, shots outside the town where it does that thing where it's like when you see Bikini Bottom from a distance and yes. you see the same three buildings, <laughs> but when you get closer, yes. like inside Bikini Bottom, you get actual buildings. It does yes. that with the town it all does the time. Do that. Well, then there's like the the part when you know he the reason he brings Marie out there is like to see the sunrise yeah. over, and it does like the weird like sparkle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like glows. And all you can see is basically a bunch of little houses, the bullfighting stadium and like the yeah. general's palace and like it's the same three buildings when the town is viewed from the outside. Um which is also playing into I guess the the animation style of them being like, you know, a toy doll set yeah. or something like that. Um just basically the animation's gorgeous and so unique. Um if nothing else about this movie appeals to you, like it's, it looks very it's pretty, so cool and so, so pretty. Just it's such an experience <sighs> just to watch. Yeah. Um, the thing, the other thing the film does is it's kind of like an unconventional musical because it's not really a musical. Like nobody's no. singing in context. Like it's mostly Manolo like whips out his guitar. He's that guy. Yeah, he's that guy who pulls out his guitar and sings Wonderwall. Um, <laughs> Anyway, you've been waiting. I've been waiting life to say life. that officially on a podcast. Um, yes. Anyway, here's <laughs> Wonderwall is is basically Manolo in a nutshell because he's constantly singing, and that's the point: is that he wants to be a musician. He wants to be a yeah. guitarista, um, as they call it, um, instead of being a bullfighter. Bullfighter. Um, uh, a matador. Method, yeah, which is another thing. I guess we'll, we'll, towards the end we'll talk about kind of like the characters as a whole yeah. themselves. And that's one thing that will probably come up with Manolo's character and the way his family's characterized. Um, but yeah, he wants to be a guitarista. So he like plays all these random songs and then like gets drunk with his like <laughs> friends and they play music in the streets. Like it's great. But he's like the first song is um, uh, I Will Wait a um, mariachi version of I Will Wait by Mumford and Sons that he plays, which is... I have the soundtrack because it's so good. <laughs> like, it's, it's a really good soundtrack. Um, yeah, and he plays, like, this crazy mariachi version of I Will Wait, and it's really cute because he starts out as a kid, and then he, like, goes into adult, and he's yeah. like, I will wait. <laughs> it's, and it's so, so great. great. Um, 
Then there's Creep by Radiohead, <laughs> which is because we were like watching the movie. My roommate was like, "Is that Creep? By Radiohead? Is he about to sing Creep by Radiohead?" And I was like, "God, I hope so." Um, and he, that's what happened. Yeah, it's kind of like Moulin Rouge, where they because with Moulin Rouge, if you've ever seen it, Ewan McGregor's character is supposed to be this like amazing poet and writer, and they realized when they were writing the movie that they weren't that good of writers <laughs> to like write his music that he was and like poetry that he was writing to like make you believe actually that he was as good as like the context of the movie says he is. So they just like took film, they took songs and said, okay, like, I forget the, the, the term for it and I can never pronounce yeah. it when you, when you take songs and put them out of like historical context, like, out, out, like they're, they're used before they were actually written. There's it's like a, anachronisms? Yeah, anachronism. It's, it's something I can never pronounce right, so I just never say it, but it's Fair basically enough. that, um, anachronisms like with music, cause like he's doing, like he's like writes the Beatles and like, um, phil collins and stuff like that so that's kind of what happening is happening here is like to get us to believe that manolo is like got this like singer's heart and is like such is, a poet there, there is, is a, an original song. yeah there is an original song that comes up towards the end but like they have him sing i will wait by mumford and sons creep by radiohead <laughs> which i just love saying that um i think he sings maria an original song at the balcony he, i, I believe so. that's an original song yeah um, so there's two. There's two original songs. Um, he sings um, Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis Presley. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and then he sings an original song at the end, the Apology Song, um, to a giant bull, which we'll get into. Just um, the quite possibly one of the best songs in any movie ever. Yeah. So it's actually kind of cool the way they blend like pre-existing music with original stuff. Um, and they do it kind of seamlessly. Um but yeah, like it's a musical, but it's not really a musical because he's like the only one singing. Oh, and at the end, um, they sing. A, they sing that song. Friggin', what's it called? Uh, uh, I can't even remember it. I don't know. Us, the duo, does the song though. Yeah, I can't. Like, I literally watched it like four um, hours ago, and I don't know. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's, how, it's like a whatever. Um, he sings another song that's not his at the end. Yeah. Um, and that's the only well, other it's time. It's duet. Yeah, because that's the only other time someone who's not him is singing. Yep. Um, yeah, because they make all the music, like, it's basically just him whipping out his guitar and playing, as opposed to, like, someone singing a ballad. Like, <laughs> no one's singing Let It Go, no. or anything like that. Um, which I think is kind of cool, and super fitting, and it's kind of, like, eclectic, and kind of, like, very indie to do something it, well, like that. Well, it's kind of old school, too. Like, you were talking about Moulin Rouge, and, like, how this is something I think we've... S- like that we've seen before not necessarily in animation but like done in like previous films mm-hmm. and to bring it back into animation i think is really neat and and it definitely indie and different and it's just a nice callback and especially with just such a unique animation style like it all just works so well mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's so it's something that fits only with this movie yeah like if someone else tried to do it i would have been like i don't want to hear you sing greet yeah, by like, radiohead yeah. um it just fits so well in this movie. And it's interesting because Creep, that song, is, like, historically, like, not something that they ever let people use in films. Like, yeah. they're very stingy about that. And Guillermo del Toro even told uh, Gutierrez that he tried to get it 
to you to, to use it in Hellboy. And he was like, they're not going to let you use it. Like, I don't even know why you're asking. And he asked anyway. <laughs> and they said yes, because they, <laughs> they loved the story and they loved the, the way that they were using the song within the story because they were like, you know, that's what this song's about. It's about some weird teenage kid who feels like a freak um, in wherever he lives. So, yeah, you can use our song. So it's a nice little thing that happens. So clearly, I mean, if... Clearly, if Radiohead thinks this movie's cool, everyone yeah. should think this movie's cool, obviously. Radiohead liked, it. Radiohead liked it enough to give them permission to use a song that they never let anyone use. So. So, clearly. Um, um, I guess we'll do this now, although we could skip... Should we... I guess we'll talk about characters and then do the yeah. comparison at the end. So, the first thing to get into this, I guess, is... Is Maria a good character for girls? Um... Because she's basically, what's going on here is that there's a love triangle between um, the three main characters, like both. Because if you've seen the trailers, you know the idea is that La Muerte and Givalba, um made a bet uh, as to which um, of Boy. the dudes. Which, they're, like, lucky she turned out straight or else this would have, like, yeah. completely <laughs> blown up in their faces. But they basically made a bet as to which of the boys she would choose. Um, when she got older to get married, because, like, both these, they're all, like, the same age, um, and both, uh, And they're all friends. They're and... all friends. They're, like, the three musketeers, except they call themselves something else. The, the three, three amigos. Because they're so creative. Um, and Joaquin and Manolo are both, like, have these major crushes on Maria and try and woo her in, like, their own specific ways. Like, Joaquin's very brawny. Like, he's basically the quarterback friend of, yeah. like, the geek essentially and he tries to like you know like lift weights in front of her and does all these impressive things um and Manolo is like that like soft poet kid like artist type who's like a tortured like artistic soul (laughs) who tries to woo her with music um and gives her a pet pig at one point because it's awesome um so cute and they make a bed and Bola Marite chooses um Manolo and Jabalba chooses um Joaquin but he cheats because um, he puts a pin. That's what Zavala does. Yeah, because he's a cheat. Yeah, he's got a history. Like he cheats all the time, apparently. And for some reason, she's still making this bet with him. <laughs> um, and he puts this pin of immortality on Joaquin that um, prevents him from ever being hurt. He's like Deadpool, um, can't ever be hurt. Um, and it makes him like into this awesome brawny, tough soldier dude. Um, and Maria gets sent away because she's like a rebel child. Yeah, she's and- too like she's not ladylike. So they so, yeah. ship her off. Yeah, this is very on the nose, and that's part of the reason why I think it's maybe not as great as some people want to think it is in terms of, like, female role models, just because it's so, like, cookie-cutter on the nose. Like, yeah. oh, she's not ladylike. She doesn't want to wear dresses and play with dolls. Like, she's not like other girls. Like, yeah. come on now. Like, there are girls who want to wear dresses and play with dolls <laughs> who are just fine. It's fine. Like, come on. So she does come back, and I think what makes her like a good character, good enough character, is that like one, the love triangle isn't a secret. Like it, there isn't really like for Maria, it isn't really a love triangle. Like she loves Manolo, she feels obligated to marry Joaquin, and like she cares for Joaquin, but she very clearly doesn't love him the way she loves Manolo. And even that aside, she gets very irritated throughout the film when they're, like, trying to be all, like, protective and all this stuff. And she's like, all of you need to calm down and stop right now. Yeah. Because they do they do play it off a lot of Maria being like, you guys are ridiculous, please stop. And yeah. she gets mad at her father. And, like, I think that makes it a little bit better. And I, that is something that I do think is lacking in a lot of films like this. 
and she obviously it's not perfect i mean they they do send maria away and that's like already like we missed screen time with her yeah i mean yeah and the things that i think are more important for her as being this kind of like female role model character is like what you said like the fact that she's like politically she feels politically obligated to do certain things but like her head and her heart are telling her to do other things like the whole like sending her away because she's not ladylike like i can do without that like i've seen that before like obviously clearly also it clearly backfired like she comes back and she yeah, she like it was like she like those parents that send you off to boarding school and then at boarding school is where you come out or something like yeah. that like it was one of those types of deals because she learned fencing and then she comes back and when and when manolo doesn't kill the bull she stands up and starts clapping because she thinks that's great yeah she thinks it's awesome so um, she clearly went off and you know yeah i mean she subverts some things and it's great but sometimes she just does it too on the nose and yeah. they like very much like are saying like look at her subverting these things and it's like yeah. calm down like great good for her doing yes. what she wants to do but also there are plenty of like there's nothing wrong with being like it's i, I it's like passive like it's all part of like the umbrella term of like passive slut shaming essentially yeah. where like you've you've got girls who are ladylike and if you're ladylike and want to be ladylike and do like things that are traditionally like coded for yeah um, women then you're like somehow hindering the feminist movement yeah it's like, no the point is you can do no. whatever you want yeah, you can do whatever you want <laughs> like just as long as you're the one making the decision for yourself like who gives yeah. a crap um <laughs> call myself. um so yeah, she gets sent off to boarding school, um, and she comes back, and she's like maybe worse than before because now she's like the <laughs> yep. same like rebel child, but she's like an adult, so it's pretty even harder to control. Yeah, it's, yeah, and she shows up to um, the bullfighting because like she comes back on the day of Manola's first bullfight, um, and she's so Manola then getting into Manola. So bullfighting families are like a huge deal in countries where bullfighting is a thing which is like latin central america mexico um spain Spain. and france even south of france as well um and it's like obviously like you hear bullfighting and you think of like the controversies surrounding it and the controversies of like killing the bull at the end um because that's how bullfights go is you like rile up the bull and then you stab it um i forget the name of the swords but those are those things on manolo's back like the entire movie yeah um and, you know, it's considered, you know, super inhumane, um, you know, compare it, I guess, suppose to like what we have here is like, obviously, it's much more of a spectator event and a more um, uh, sort of sanctioned by society in these cultures. But for us, yeah. it would be something like dogfighting, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not something that a lot of people think should be happening. Um, or and I'm or for example, um, I'm from Kentucky, I live in Kentucky, and I was born in Kentucky. And uh, horse racing, mm-hmm. yeah, and very, and how horse racing is handled in this country, yeah. Which, of course, I'm gonna like. I would very, you know, people outside of this room would very likely, you know, string me up for saying such a thing. But it's yeah, very, that's probably that's a better analog because that's something that's you know, every like the the triple crown and it's like considered this yeah. huge thing, but it's actually like super animal cruelty. Like, yes, if you understand. Um, so. That you've got that controversy kind of like laced throughout it, but it's kind of like ingrained in Manolo's character because it's yeah. like through the analog of him wanting to be his own person because he doesn't want to be a bullfighter, he wants to be a guitar player, like he wants to be a musician. But bullfighting runs in families, like if you're a part of a bullfighting family, like that's what you're going to be doing, like that's what you're expected to do in these cultures is um, bullfighting. It's like take 
acting families, but then like magnify it. Like it's tradition and it's heritage. Um, so, you know, it's very much family business. Like, yeah, no, totally. Like the Godfather. Um, so, you know, there's already a lot of tension there with him being like, no, even how to train your dragon and uh, you got to kill dragons. Yeah. And this, except this is a thing that in real life. Yeah. Um, Well, I just meant like, you know, relating to, because I, because I think people might like, obviously this movie is, you know, focusing on like a certain cultural, um, relationship and, but I mean, it's definitely like, this is a universal experience as well yeah. because everyone like can relate to like being pressured to do being something because family your family does it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, and that's kind of laced together with this thing of where it was like, we would say bullfighting is wrong. Like, it, or at least, you know, the violent aspects of it yeah. towards the end are wrong. Um, and that's kind of what happens in Manola's first bullfight is he refuses to kill the bull and he like gets booed out of the arena. Um, except Maria, who's like clapping. She's yeah, like, she gets knocked out. They throw yeah, he throws guitar at his head and he just like, they just let him lay there past yeah, out. Yeah, he was he, out for like He wakes up later while. by himself. They just let him lay there for some reason. Um, no, his, uh, his dad and oh, his dad his wakes grandmother him up. were there and like, they like, said bad things about him and left yeah yeah his dad wakes him up like reams him and then leaves his <laughs> grandmother makes... played by great Delisle, um a plus a plus by ptw she is mexican so yes that also counts in the it does count in the people who um were not in my list of my lies about channing Tatum <laughs> being the only white person in this movie um but yeah so you've got that going on and then joaquin is like this big he's Channing Tatum um this big buff kind of like protector of the town and like the interesting thing then becomes like Maria's kind of like politically obligated and kind of like in terms of like communal loyalty like she's expected to marry Joaquin because um you know otherwise he won't stay yeah like she's like he he needs a reason to stay in it from that's kind of like fuzzy like he needs a reason to stay well, the, in the well, town. the thing is well that's another part of this movie that's kind of like really irritating and like granted this also just kind of goes against joaquin's character as a whole because like if he really cared he wouldn't need a reason to stay and protect his hometown yeah he comes off as kind of like a you know yeah um because like the, the he's like basically emotionally it's not talked about he's basically emotionally manipulating this girl yeah. into marrying him but he does it with like puppy dog eyes yeah so it's like no like he's he's emotionally manipulating this girl into into marriage and he's knowing and he- full well that she wants to marry someone else because the whole reason he did it is because he realized that she was in love with manolo and was like yeah. oh sh- crap and yeah. like went to get a ring and quick proposed to her in front of everyone. Yeah. And, and he at- never apologizes. Like, at the end of the movie, he's like, well, I mean, at the, it kind of, not really, because at the end of the movie, he realizes that, like, to be, you know, a real hero, you need to be selfless. But, like, he... He doesn't say sorry for, like... No, holding- never. Like, he never apologizes <laughs> he totally for being a total emotionally jerk. totally manipulates her into accepting his marriage. It's like those guys who proposed their girlfriends on camera, like, in a baseball stadium. Imagine that, but, like, basically saying, if you don't marry me, like, I'm not going to stay here and protect the town and you're all going to die. Like, that's that's never, like, something that the movie, like, talks about or presents, even though it's clearly what happens. Um, And that's not great. And I think that's something that lends itself actually positively to Maria's character because they do basically, like one of the kids points out who are being told this story 
points out, you know, she's choosing her, her duty over her heart when she says that she'll think about Joaquin's marriage proposal. And, you know, like, it's very quick and it's a very simple line, but if you think about it, it's like, crap, like, that's yep. a very historically accurate thing that happened yes. to girls. Like, you you get married off for political reasons or um, monetary reasons Money, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And this is a thing that happened all the time. And probably still happens. Um, oh, definitely. And even on smaller scales, like happens day to day with people deciding like, what's the smart choice? What works for everyone else? You know, and not even in relationships, just in life, like the way that women are forced to kind of like put accommodate. Yeah, accommodate and put what everyone else, what the the what works for everyone else, over what works for them. Yeah. Um. So I think on that regard, like, that really does lend it. Like, this is the stuff I like about Maria's character. Not the whole, like, she's not like other girls crap. Yeah. Like, I like this stuff where it's like, ew, like, she's in a really crappy position. Yeah. That her best friend is putting her in, I will yeah, point out. Real. And her friggin' like, dad. Really? Like, it's, it's really, and the fact that she's surrounded by dudes, too. Is, like, yeah, that's the other thing, yeah. Um, she's like, her and La Muerte are the only female characters in this movie. And Grandma. That's true. Well, and, like, kind of his mom, but not really. But not really. <laughs> so, in that regard, yeah. The I'd cousins say, are cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the Adelita cousins. Yeah. They're cool. These, like, two ghost girls who, like, were fought in the revolution. They were like, they're we fought cool. in the revolution, and we won. <laughs> like, it's cool. Like, it's weird. They're, they're awesome. But, yeah. Like, so, things like that, if you look kind of, like, at the deeper layers of what's going on in this movie, it's good. Like... Yeah. Not not what's happening is good, but, like, kind of, like, the issues brought up. But the bad thing is, is that the movie, I don't think, is aware of the issues it's bringing up. Because it doesn't really focus on well, they them. Well, don't, they don't do anything about it. I don't think that it's not necessarily unaware. It just, they don't do anything about it. Yeah. Which, there are several shows that we cover that we talk about that, like, they don't do anything with it. Like, they bring it up, but we don't really think they know how, what to do Yeah, with it. like, you've brought up now that Maria's, like going to put herself through like a lifetime of misery like marrying yeah. someone she doesn't love for the sake of you know protecting people she cares about in her town but then you just let it sit there and don't yeah. don't come back to it or circle back to it and like at the end Joaquin's just allowed to be like the hero even though he like totally emotionally manipulated this girl yeah. into um, and he wasn't even really a hero all along because Everything he did was because Zabalba cheated. Yeah, because he knew that he, he wouldn't die, so he would do random stuff that was, like, super dangerous because he knew that the metal would protect him. And, like, the second it comes off, he, like, He's starts like, squealing. Yep. And it's, like, I don't, I just don't like Joaquin's character. I don't either. Which is a super unpopular opinion on Tumblr, especially because people are really big on um, the OT3 yes. with those three. Um, which just and makes course, me everyone, mad because Joaquin I, yeah. is an awful person. Yes. And of course, everyone's obsessed with Channing Tatum, so that's like part of yeah. that. Thing. Yeah. It just, I think Joaquin's an awful, awful person. Yes. Agreed. So I don't, I'm not a fan of any situation where he gets a love interest. Like, the more I watch it, the more irritated I get with Joaquin. Yeah. And I think it's because the movie does, like, kind of just lets him. They just let him be annoying. Yeah, and, they like, don't. They don't things. do anything to correct it, and that's kind of what's more irritating. Well, it's like when he's talking to Maria, and he's like, and when of course, and she's being sarcastic, and is like, oh, and I'd like cook for him and all this stuff, and, and like, then yeah. which granted that was a good like obviously like if you want to cook that's fine. <laughs> you know, I cook all the that. time. If you I know. go on my Instagram, like it's fine. You but will it, see. Well, I think it's more of like a. I think the typical like cook for him. Yeah, like, that no, was very much the, the definite thing. feminist stand. Yeah, like she's not going to do it just for him. 
and that was that was good but then like so, and then he's like yeah yeah like he's like yeah, really no, into it and she's like no, no totally, you he's idiot totally, like that's the thing is i don't even believe he's in love with her because he's no. like totally objectifying her and has, it's just a, and it's just like a competition with manolo yeah he's got a he projects onto her all the time and like then that's the only reason he proposes to her is because yeah. he sees manolo like serenading her and is like oh crap like i'm gonna this is sucks like she's totally like falling for him and decides to propose to her and it's like i don't like joaquin <laughs> I think he's an awful human being. Um, you know, and I feel bad, I guess, because his dad's dead or something. <laughs> I guess I feel bad. I guess I feel bad. Because his dad's dead. But that doesn't excuse him being an ass. No, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. Or the fact that the movie lets him be an ass and doesn't yeah. doesn't say any parts of it are wrong. This is something Dylan would get very irritated about, is when TV shows or films don't point out yeah. When something is awful. Like, Rick and Morty, we we watch this show and we're aware that Rick is a terrible human being at all at all times, and that's fine. Here, it's like, okay, and it's you like, know no! Who, you know who it's, it's like Mako. Like, yes, he's awful, exactly. but the show does every, like, the show they adore movie, him. the show slash movie, in these cases, does yes. everything it can to not acknowledge the fact that he's awful. Joaquin is like the Mako of yes. <laughs> the Book of Life. That's it. That's the that's the analogy right there. Yep. Um, what else in terms from of from the Legend of Korra? From the Legend, of, yeah. Well, if you listen to this, you probably I know. You probably know. We we try to point out because we make like absurd amounts of Korra and Avatar references. <laughs> like it's like the living embodiment. It's a of given. Tumblr. Um, <laughs> yes. What else? So Lamorte and Zabalba are actually really cool characters. Um it is Ron Perlman is one of them. Is the one that is Zabalba. Yes, I'm saying. Um Zibalba. Kate Del Castillo is La Muerta. Um and they're married, which, which isn't is great. Yeah, it's great. It's actually not like specifically referenced in the film, but they're yeah. like married and they're Well, they're like amazing. they're clearly like together. Yeah, well yeah, they're like romantically together, but they're married and they're they're um their relationship was based on um, Frida Kahlo and her relationship with her husband, which, to sum it up, was basically <laughs> Frida Kahlo is bisexual. Um, and to get back on the fact that her husband was constantly cheating on her, she would sleep with all the women <laughs> that he had slept with. And their entire That's relationship so was basically just like screwing with each other and one upping each other. But it's really cute because, like, at the end of the day, like, they loved each other and like at the end of their relationship they like really did love each other so it's like <laughs> this crazy dysfunctional like stupid relationship that somehow worked um and that's what's going on here with Lamorta and Zabalba like which it's really funny because Zabalba cheats yeah like, he, he constantly cheat. is cheating he like they're constantly the making bets and like playing games I guess and he cheats all the time and, and it's really funny because, like, we have these, like, immortal, you know, these eternal, all-powerful beings. But the one thing, because, like, there's that part where they're, like, where Luis is, like, La Marte would never do that. And then he's, like, she lost a bet. And he was, like, she would do that. She would do, yeah, no, that was <laughs> probably the that. funniest part of the movie when um, she loses the land of the remembered to Javalba. And he says, like, to them, he's, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm the new ruler of the land of the remembered. They're, like, oh. Lamarte would never do that. She'd yeah. never let that happen. He's like, she lost a bet, and he was like, ah, yeah, she would do that. She would do that. Like, it's like this known thing with these people that they're constantly making bets and like screwing is, people over, which, which is, is such a god thing to do. Yeah, I was gonna say it's in that's in like almost that's basically in all um, polytheistic um, 
that's what happened Apology. in um not even in polytheistic in yeah. the book of job like oh, he screws yeah. over job to prove <laughs> a point to to satan like this is crap make that happens bets. all the time like people make better gods and stuff make bets and like screw over mortals it's really funny but um those two are characterized really well um and they're really weird looking (laughs) she's made out of sugar i think yes and he's made out of like tar he's like gross yeah um but yeah like they're just really their their dynamic is so great and they're like definitely i think they're actually according to like what i've seen on tumblr like they're the big otp that people take from this movie yes they are because Manolo and Maria are, like, cute, but people get mad because they want, like, OT3 or whatever yeah. with Joaquin, whom I hate. But yes. everyone kind of agrees that Shibaba and Lamarte are, like, perfect. <laughs> um, A-plus. They're the best. They're great. Um, their whole relationship and dynamic is just fantastic. And it's ridiculous to be able to say that two animated, like, figures on a computer have chemistry. <laughs> but <laughs> They do. But they do. Um, Somehow, yeah. So they're probably my favorite part. Which of the also movie. kudos to their voice act, voice yeah. actors, because like they do an excellent job. Yeah, Ron Perlman's a big voice actor. Um, yeah. I don't know about Kate Del Castillo. Um, I don't think she does too much voice acting, but um, she did stellar in this movie. Yeah, she did really good in this. Um, Ron Perlman does. He's basically been in anything you've ever seen. Yeah. At some point, um, he's also Hellboy. Yep. Um, what else as far as characters? Oh, um. <laughs> Hector uh, uh, Elizondo uh, from Princess Diaries is uh, Manolo's <laughs> dad, if anyone yes. that sounded familiar to anyone. Yes, um, I noticed. Which is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the characterization in this movie, with the exception of the fact that Joaquin's like an annoying, the worst. crappy person, um, is pretty good. Um, I do think Maria, like at the end of the day, is a very good... Uh, character, you know, as kind of like a model for. Um, I hate saying the phrase "strong female character." I think it's such a garbage saying, yes, agree. Um, and I refuse to say it about anything. So if it takes me two sentences to describe something, it's because I'm refusing to say that phrase. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's like, there's parts of it that I think are like, ugh, like really, yeah. like that doesn't need to happen. But there are parts of it that are actually really interesting. Unfortunately, the movie doesn't want to focus on those nope. parts. Um, and, and at the end of the day, she still chooses one of the dudes. Like, and yeah. that's the annoying part is like, you know, you're like, you've got this bet going and these two kids are like vying for her affection. Like she has no say in any of this because like the, the, the basically the way it plays out is that she's going to choose one of them. Well, I think like, well, I think the movie does do a lot to show Maria's agency mm-hmm. in that like. You know, well, she does, of course, she does make the decision to marry Joaquin to save the town. But I do think, like, I think at every moment, these are shown to be Maria's decisions. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if we don't, I mean, we don't like the decisions, but I do think Maria maintains her agency throughout the film, which I think is what's, I mean, obviously, I would prefer that some of the things that happened didn't happen, but I do think she does maintain her agency. Yeah, I mean, and she does do that. Like, all these things are her choices. It's And, you know, the movie's aware that sometimes they're crappy choices and she has to do it. But yeah, I mean, she's the one who makes the decision to yeah. to marry Joaquin. She's the one who decides to like push Manolo out of the way uh, when the snake attacks. Um, she's the one who decides to kind of like rally the town 
to yeah. fight these like, bandits. I, like, she was heavily pressured by her father and by Joaquin, but I do think ultimately she would have made that decision anyway to marry yeah. Joaquin to save the town because that's just the kind of person Marie is. Yeah, and, yeah, and she was like heavily pressured by herself because of yeah. these outside forces, which is something I can jive with because that's something that happens all the time. And that's um, that's life. Yeah, and it's just, I think the thing, I don't think there's anything really wrong with her presentation. I think it's just the fact that the movie chooses not to focus on... And it's and it's the focus of this love triangle and like yeah. how, how this entire movie is about a bet that these eternal beings made and to mess with the lives of mortals. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Like, it's it's about her in context of these two dudes, not necessarily yeah. about her, which is unfortunate. Which, granted, the, I mean, obviously, like, Manolo dies because of the bet and all this stuff happens, but, like, it did happen that, like, they didn't really have as much, they didn't intervene as much as, like, if we were watching, like, a Greek, like... <laughs> base yeah anything like they weren't really as involved they just let it happen well yeah and that was part of the bet too is la Morte said if she wins jababa would stop interfering with the affairs of man so it's like a thing i guess that they do and she's trying to like get him to knock it off yeah um but no. yeah i mean yeah so ultimately not you know from a feminist perspective obviously it could do way more yes but it's not awful and it just would have been nice if some of the more complex issues that arise from her agency or lack of agency or people trying to steal her agency was focused on but obviously Manola is our main character so yep. that's who we're going to focus on and that's who we're going to root for um that's true so <coughs> also Manolo is precious Manolo is a unproblematic babe yes um, even with that stupid ponytail i know <laughs> i hate it oh. i didn't notice it at first and then i noticed he's got this little freaking rat yep. tail sticking yep. out the back of his neck it's it's pretty <clears throat> um so which they make jokes about it in the movie they're like oh kids with their long hair and yeah he's got like, <laughs> like they make fun ponytail. of him um so pixar has its own um Dedos martes film coming out called coco um, it was originally called Dia de las Muertas, but they got into legal trouble. Not even legal trouble, like, people yelled at them. Yeah. Because they were going, they trademarked the phrase Dia de las Muertas. And like, people people across the Latin community in the United States were like, what no. the F? Like, you can't <laughs> trademark our culture like that. That's like, that's like, that's literally like trying to make a movie and trademarking, like, Hanukkah, but they're gonna think, like, oh, we can do that. Well, no, you can't. No, like, you can't. Oh, like, that doesn't belong to you. Like, no. Um, so, they made a petition, um, basically called it, like, the worst kind of cultural appropriation, like, ever. Yep. And Disney canceled its petition for a trademark and said that they'd, like, um, rename the film and they named it coco i don't know yet how that factors in is it like the name of no because this is all we have so coco is about a spirited 12 year old mexican boy named miguel who lives with a big family in rural mexico and discovers a generational mystery revolving around dia de los muertos that will change his life so i don't maybe coco's part a person that's part of this i don't know um but it could literally be about chocolate. We don't know. Yeah, I there's not much to know about this movie. It's coming out in 2017. Um, and, you know, it's they did their typical thing where, you know, the Pixar animation team made trips to Mexico and 
took pictures and immersed themselves in it. Like, I don't think that they're going to do disservice to it because, you know, traditionally Pixar and Disney are usually very, very good with the cultures yeah. that they're using in their films. Um, they, you know, they use traditional music, traditional um, architecture and their designs, traditional um, clothing. That being said, that's all when they're using Western and European yes. cultures. Like, this is the first time that they're doing something like this with a non-white um well, with, uh, well, Moana comes out first, so I yeah. right, so I think maybe that'll be a good test to see to see how this works. <laughs> so how far on work. that, they're actually doing really well. I mean, they yeah. cast only you know all the voice actors are um, people of some sort of South Pacific heritage, yeah. and I'm so excited for Moana. And Manuel Miranda um, is doing the music for it. Yeah, so I'm interested. There's like no like. I don't know anything about this movie. You know, when people yeah. basically are like, is it going to be exactly like Book of Life? You know, is it, what is it? What, I, there's nothing to know about this movie. We don't know. We don't know. Um, except for all the unpessimistic, um, just the pessimistic, like, predictions about how they're going to handle it. Um, and it'll be interesting, actually, if and when we learn more stuff about it to possibly compare it to the Book of yeah. Life. Um, I'm gonna probably, I mean, I see every Pixar film, so I'll probably see it. I just, yeah, I'll see I'm it. very apprehensive just because of like that controversy, um, with the trademarking, just because yeah. I feel like that's going to set the tone for yes. a lot of this. I'm, I'm concerned about what it's going to look like. Like, cause I could, I hope they don't try and, um, like I would assume that I would assume that, which also isn't going to be good either, that it's going to kind of take after, you know, other Disney Pixar films that are, you know, everyone kind of looks the same. Yeah. But I could see them trying to mimic a little bit the animation style of the Book of Life. Now, obviously, I really don't think they're going to try and rip off the Book of Life. Like, Dis that's not really Disney's style. Yeah, they, they don't rip off, despite they people don't do that. trying to insist that they do. Yeah. And um, the plot does, I mean, even though we know nothing about the plot, the plot down to its barest bones sounds very different yeah. from... The well, it sounds like, yeah, and I mean, this sounds like... Dylan and I talk about a lot on our Pixar series. Um, the fact that Pixar keeps making the same film over and over again, but just with, like, different types of characters. Um, like, it keeps making the same first ten minutes intro, like, really moving intro... <clears throat> After that, it's a adventure story, usually between two characters going yeah. on some journey, um, and then like the return. Like it's literally yeah, it's they're making it's, this, it's a formula. Yeah, they're making the same movie over and over and over. They're again. making Toy Story over and over, <laughs> and over. Yeah, and which I don't think people necessarily realize all that much because you know Pixar can do no wrong for a lot of people. Well I, well, I think a lot of it too is that like if you really don't sit down and watch, or if you, I mean, if you're not thinking. Like, it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, Toy Story is totally different than Inside Out. But no, that's literally like, Toy Story and Inside Out have the exact same plot structure. Yeah. Like, they're the same movie. It's the same movie. It's and the same movie. Inside Out, more than others, is the same movie. Yeah, Inside Out and Toy Story are identical. So. Which I think a lot of people, it's, you know, and of course that's why it works, is because Pixar dresses them up so pretty and it looks different. Yeah, and people are like, oh wow, they're so creative and, and unique with with their stuff Which their ideas are you know, yeah like unique, the premises like, are unique but the, but the narrative is the same <laughs> like it's the same story like, realize over, you are watching the same movie over and over and over again um 
So, which again, of course, that goes oh, that goes up to like you know what sells. Yeah, so I'm sure this is going to be the same movie over and over again, yeah. just with you know maybe much prettier to look It'll at. It'll be Miguel and Coco going on their little <clears> adventure, <throat> or Miguel and someone to go find Coco. Like you know, oh. who who knows? Whoever it's going to be the same Pixar movie. Um, yes. So yeah, I mean that'll be something when we learn more about that to compare it more. There's not even a cast list out yet. I think they kind of learned from their uh, mistake when it comes to releasing two Pixar movies in the same year. That usually yeah. one ends up being the B movie, um, yeah. <clears throat> not the B movie, but I know the letter B. I had to laugh. We should watch the B movie and do. We not covered the B movie. We should do another drunk podcast. I'm going to okay. tell Dylan. Dylan, drunk podcast. B I movie. think we've had this discussion before, and Dylan's game for it. We Hold just on, haven't wait. done it. Just typing yeah, it out. Right I'm now. typing it out right now. This is live. All right. Um, so yeah. Uh, okay. Wrapping up then. I mean, Book of Life, you know, some people, some people I know specifically, I won't name names, didn't like it. Um, other people thought it was fantastic. Uh, you know, go see it. Gosh, darn it. I get yes. Um Sorry, I'm, this is what happens when I this try and type and, and podcast at the same time. Speaking and typing at the same time. I've never seen it. That's the point, Dylan. Anyway, um, go see it if you haven't already seen it and have had it entirely spoiled for you by listening to this podcast. Um, if you're someone who has seen it and, you know, wasn't a big fan of it, um, maybe, you know, uh, watch it again with some of the stuff in mind that we talked about. Um, we obviously are very pro Book of Life, but I've I'm, shown I'm this not... movie to so many people, which is a testament to how much I love it. Because the only other things that I share are like Avatar and Korra, and like this movie is incredible. Yeah, and uh, I'm also not blind to you know the fact that it does have some pitfalls. Yeah, um, like it's not it's not perfect, but it does a lot of things right. Yeah, yeah, it does more things right than it than it stumbles. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. Maybe if you're going back to watch it, and if you agree with us, you know, good for you. <laughs> um, you know, feel free to tell us, or if there's stuff that you think we didn't cover, yeah, um, let us know. You know, find out all the info on this podcast at OverlyAnimated.com. Support us via pay- support us. <laughs> support us. it's it's the record for context it's kind of late and retired support us support us via patreon at patreon.com slash animated thank you to our current patrons shana mitch cordell beatriz nate andy jamie rachel i'm not going to say them as fast as dylan no, uh who are hey nah fever mitch cordell university beatrix lestrange buzz lightyear mailman why is it mailman? And Rachel Rose. Because it's Steven Universe. You don't know, right? You don't know yet. I'm out of the loop. Um, Delaney, where can we find you on social media? I am on Tumblr at Guru Korasami. I'm going to plug my Instagram. <laughs> Delbury S. It might just be Delbury. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, the find flyers me. kick the devil's butts. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> and then my Twitter is also Delbury S. Nice. Um, and you can find me at Malmoy on basically everything except yes. Tumblr where I am the so. Malmoy because I stole my own name from myself <laughs> and I don't remember the login to the it's actual really Malmoy account. So like, don't go to that one. That one hasn't been updated in years. Go it's to themalmoy.tumblr.com um, But I'm Malmoy on Twitter and since I plug so much Instagram, I'm Malmoy on Instagram as well. I'm also Malmoy on Snapchat. <laughs> I'm also Delbury on Snapchat. But I probably won't ever snap you. And I don't put up stories, so there's no point in following me. I don't put up stories, but I will snap you. 
Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't really keep up with what you guys regularly, um, are talking about. I see it sometimes. Um, so if you want to talk about that, if you know of any coming up, any episodes or. Oh, um, coming up, uh, Dylan, what you can expect next from Overly Animated, um, continuing coverage of Gravity Falls. Oh yeah. And a... Another Ruby discussion where we will talk about the season as a whole, and I have to compile my list because oh Dylan my is like, God. my list is done, so now I have to compile my list of Volume Three because Dylan hates me. Dylan so that's just, what you have to look forward to. Dylan is obsessed with lists, and he tears his lists. He's very he, methodical. It's, and if you don't, which do your is list weird right, he that he mad. doesn't like BuzzFeed because it's literally all lists. Yeah, that's and he hates BuzzFeed. Like it makes no sense. But yeah, so check those out. Um, they're coming up. Don't not sure when. Yeah, um, we're not. Um, but it'll be in the coming weeks. Yeah. Um, possibly one this week. Possibly both of them this week. Yeah. Find out. Um, Dylan and I at some point might do another Pixar movie. I think we were talking about doing Finding Nemo next. Um, when we did the Good Dinosaur. Um, need to see that. I'm not sure if there's a Delaney. I might do uh, another one for How to Train Your Dragon. I think we were discussing, or yes. um, Star Wars. I, I have to get in on the Star Wars Rebels with Dylan as well. So I need to I need to get caught up on Star Wars Rebels. There's some stuff, but yeah, there's stuff. Just pay attention, love it, listen to it. Just keep subscribed, um, and you'll know all about it. You know it. So I have been your main host, I guess, for this one, Melanie Moyer, and also been with Delaney Stovall. 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 Still working on that. <laughs> um. <laughs> And yeah, uh, check out Ruby and um, Gravity Falls and all of Dylan's lists. It's and a lot. Just so you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, thanks for listening. Adios. Bye. <laughs>